Well, I don't know about you, but I have a love-hate relationship with mirrors. We probably all do. On bad days, we avoid them. And maybe on some of our good days, we embrace the image staring back at us. The thing about the mirror is it doesn't lie, even if we attempt to manipulate it. So with that in mind, I want to warn you that the message today could be a bit of a mirror into your soul. I know it was for me. It'll be good for your soul, but it may be a bit painful as well. I want to tell you that up front. Our pride and our ego, it's probably going to experience some pain in the next few moments. Today we're going to revisit the conversation in this series and Doing that during these times is extremely important. This entire series is important. I'm hopeful that God has been doing some real work on your thoughts and your heart and your soul as we've continued these conversations. Our hope is that through this series, and I think especially today, that there's the potential to heal relationships and to help us deal with what's happening in our world. Over the past few weeks, we've been challenged to ask some hard questions about our level of civility and about giving others the dignity that they deserve. So today we turn the mirror on ourselves, specifically in regards to humility. Because when we join ourselves to Christ, we not only receive new life in him, we not only allow ourselves to begin to experience the transformation that is only available through him, but there's an expectation that the characteristics of God's kingdom will begin to be lived out through us. And one of the primary characteristics of this kingdom is humility. Here's what humility says. It says, there is nothing beneath me and there is no one beneath me. My hope today is that this declaration would begin to be true for all of us. There is nothing, there is no one beneath me. So join me in Philippians chapter 2 as we shine a light on the need for humility, especially in light of the tensions we are experiencing today. It's hard to be humble, but we know that in life there are things that will humble us. Like next season will humble us, right? There's always those things coming. It's funny how you can say certain things about yourself and people will actually encourage or affirm those things in you. You can say things like, man, I'm really growing. I'm feeling a lot more loving these days. And if someone says that, you'd say, man, that's awesome. Good for you. Keep, keep working on that. Or they might say, I have been really working on being more generous and I'm feeling more generous. You'd be like, way to go. I love that. Or I'm, I'm feeling more forgiving, they would say to you and say, that's man, God must really be working in you. Or they might say, I am feeling joy. Like I am feeling so much joy. And you'd be like, all right, you would applaud that. But if, if, if you walk up to someone and they say this to you, you're gonna, you don't even know how to respond. You're just like, they say, you know, I'm just feeling really humble these days. Like that's a curious thing to say about yourself, right? Because we don't know how to respond to somebody who's declaring their humility. And Jesus actually is an example for us. And Paul talks about this. I want us to go to Philippians chapter 2. This is Paul writing to some very early believers in a city called Philippi. And we're going to read this entire passage and then spend the next few moments breaking it down together. Philippians chapter 2, if you want to find it on the crossing app, or it'll obviously be right here next to me on the screen. Let's read along together. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement 
from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. In other words, I'm joyful, Paul says. I love the reports that I'm getting about the church. I love the reports of what's going on. But let's take it next level. And next level would be be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Then he says, do nothing Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in what? Humility. Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, and we're going to come back to this, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he what? Humbled, there it is again, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love those words because I think you and I would agree there's something beautiful about humility. We admire humility when we see it in other people. Yet the road, the road to humility is very difficult. It's one of those virtues that it's actually never gained by merely seeking it. By saying, I want more humility. No, it's a paradox of humility. When we think we have it, we've actually lost it. And Paul's writing to this church community in Philippi. And he's concerned because great things are happening. There's so much momentum. And he hears great reports of what's going on. But whenever things are up and to the right, whenever things are great and there's lots of, of, of things that are positive that are going on, Paul knows that there's one particular thing that can sneak in, that can come upon you almost unexpectedly, and it can blow up everything that God is doing. And that is this word, division. And so in the midst of Paul's joy for the church at Philippi, in the midst of celebrating everything that was going on, he said, listen, you've got to make my joy complete. You've got to get to the other side, and that is you have to be aware of division. Nate's going to talk about this as we conclude this series next week. He's going to talk about this idea of unity. But Paul says it clearly, when division threatens to pull us apart, we get pulled back towards unity by having the same mindset as Christ Jesus, a mindset of humility, by asking him to shape us, to shape our lives with his humble love. But there's some huge barriers to this, selfish ambition and vain conceit. And selfish ambition and vain conceit say this, I see the world as being the center of it. I relate to the world with myself right in the middle of everything. So you guys might not know it, but Lee is actually the center of the world. Like everything revolves around me. Like I don't even know if you guys exist when I'm not around because I am the lead actor in this movie called Life. And we laugh and we giggle, but many of us or even maybe people around us, they sort of function that way, right? Like the world centers and goes through me. And that's selfish ambition and vain conceit. 
And when you have that, then you also wonder, because I'm the center of the universe, why doesn't everyone think the way I think? Why doesn't everyone believe the things that I believe? Selfish ambition says that. And it happens in big and small ways. Here's an innocent example. If you take a group photo, right, or like a group selfie with your friends, and after, after you snap the photo and everyone gathers around to look at the picture, where do you look? Exactly. You look at yourself, right? You look at yourself first. And if you look good in the picture, do you like the picture? Yes, you like the picture very much. Of course you do. Even if you're the only one who looks good in the picture, right? Everyone else can have snot running down their face. They can have their eyes closed. They can look fat. You don't even care. You're like, this picture is awesome. I'm posting it. As a matter of fact, I'm framing it because I look great, right? That's a very funny, small example of what vain conceit looks like. Everything revolves around me. The picture is really focused on me. But Paul says, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each to the interest of others. And this doesn't mean your interests are not important. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have goals and dreams for your life. This doesn't mean don't have ambition. What we need to understand is Paul is writing this to a group of people. He's writing it to a church that was gathered much like ours. And that's important. It's key because he's saying, if we, if we will live this way, if we as a collective will value others' interests above our own, then if you're part of a family, you're part of a church, you're part of a marriage, you're part of a network of friendships and relationships, if all of that, if all of we is leading with humility, then your interest will actually be met because we're leading together in community. And then just so we get it, he drops a bombshell about Jesus. This is important, about what God is like. This is what is known as the Christ hymn. Many scholars believe that these words were already part of the church when Paul wrote them down, that he was really just reciting them back to the church at Philippi. They were probably already singing them or reciting them. This would have been the reckless love chorus of the early church. All right, it starts in verse six. He says this, this think of it like a hymn, talking about Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he himself, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. You want to know what, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. And the scandalous, shocking thing about Christianity, if you are here or you're watching and you are examining the claims of Christ, the shocking and scandalous thing about Christianity is that God reveals himself through Jesus as a servant. We got to get this. The very essence of God is to serve. And here's where this hymn gets really interesting because it reveals another layer of God. This word being can actually be translated in two different ways when we go back to the original Greek language. And this is important. The first way it can be translated is the word although. We could put the word although there. So you would read it, although he is God, he became a servant. It would be translated like a contrasting phrase, right? So despite the fact he is God, he decided, okay, I'm going to become a servant. Although he is this, 
He became that. That's one translation. But the second word, the second way is not the word although. This is the powerful part. It can be translated with the word because. And when you read it that way, it changes everything. This makes a huge difference. Because he was God, he became a servant. Because he was God. Humility, get this, humility became the expression of divinity. So when we are humble, we are actually reflecting God's kingdom. When we are humble, we are somehow participating in the life of God. And that is hard, but he calls us to that. And Jesus redefined what living our lives and what the image of God really looks like. We see this most profoundly in John 13. If you look at John's narrative of Jesus' life, we arrive at John 13. And what we learn there is it was commonplace in ancient times when when a group would come into someone's house. Maybe they were gathering for a dinner like Jesus was doing with with his disciples, with his close friends, that a servant would be assigned to meet the guest at the door. And when they would come in, the servant would pick up a towel And they would wipe and clean all the dirt and the dust and the mud. And here's the thing. They weren't walking around like on concrete sidewalks or paved streets. This was was not pretty, right? Picture tombstone, okay? Lots of dirt and dust. And then they didn't have a lot of shoes like we have. They're closed toe or socks. They were open toe. So they were basically bringing into the house everything that they had walked through that day. And so the servant would be assigned before people would sit down for dinner that they would literally bring a basin and a towel and they would wash everyone's feet. And if there wasn't a servant available or there wasn't a servant in the house, then normally the first person to arrive for the dinner was assigned to be the foot washer. means everyone would probably be late, right? I don't want to be there first. And they would show up and be part of that. So here's Jesus in John 13 sitting around this table with his closest friends and no one's feet have been washed. They're all there, and they've got dirty feet. And Jesus, he stands up. And what does he do? Does he stand up and announce, Now, I am going to dis- demonstrate to you losers how you are supposed to serve one another. He doesn't do that. It literally just says, he stands up, he gets up, and he grabs the basin of water, and he grabs a towel, and he begins one by one to clean his disciples' feet all their feet even judas's feet he cleans he doesn't skip anyone you and i would have been much more selective we'd be like ah maybe i'll do this but not for everybody have you seen bill's feet not good i don't like mary she's new right but not jesus he didn't skip anyone but it's the nature of god Because of his humble spirit to clean everyone's feet, saint or sinner, righteous or unrighteous, holy or unholy. That's what makes Christianity crazy, that God washes everyone's feet and he invites you and I, if we're part of his kingdom, to be that kind of servant. And when the towel is introduced in this story, it reminds me that there are actually two kinds of towels, okay? These are actually from my house. My, my son-in-law has come and stayed at our house, and uh, one of the things that, that happens is this towel hangs in our um, guest bathroom. This is not really a towel. This is a decoration. Some of you are tracking with me, right? Like, despite the fact that it hangs right next to the sink, and when you finish washing your hands, instinctively you would think, I will wipe my... Do not do that. 
because the queen of the house, if she were to discover, some, if you were to wipe your toothpaste onto such towel, you would be voted off the island. You would, not, you would no longer be able to function because you may think this is a towel, but this is decorative. It's just there for looks, right? We all have these. But then we have other towels, okay? We have towels like this. We store them close by. Maybe they're in a drawer. Maybe you store them in your garage. You might even have one like I do. You throw it in the back of your car, like under the, in the trunk or underneath there. And when you go get your car washed at one of those quick washes, you get out, right, and you wipe it down a little bit. And then what do you do with that? You just throw it back. Like you're not washing that thing, right? It's useful. You just throw it back in, hope it dries before you wash your car again. And you just drive around. But you know that that towel is there. And it's very valuable. It's not, it's not pretty. It's not decorative. It has a use. It is essential. It is necessary. And so when I read about Jesus potentially picking up a towel and washing feet, I thought, what kind of towel am I? Right? Am I one that just talks about humility, talks a good talk, encourages other people to serve? Or am I a towel that actually serves, that's useful, that's helpful? Am I a towel that just looks like a humble servant or one that demonstrates humility? Because humility says, no one and nothing is beneath me. So this is a great spiritual formation question to measure humility in our lives. Here's the question. You ask, this is where the mirror is now being held up. What are the tasks and who are the people you believe are beneath me? So if humility says no one and no thing is beneath me, then we have to ask the challenging question, what are the tasks and who are the people? The task thing. Let's talk about tasks. Okay, I get it. Some of you are struggling with that. You think there are tasks that are beneath me. You need to work through that, right? Like I'm not sweeping that. I'm not cleaning that toilet. I'm not whatever. That's fine. Work through that. You need humility in your life. I'm more concerned about this other word, the who. Who are the people that you believe are beneath you that's limiting your capacity to truly walk as a citizen of the kingdom of God and to demonstrate humility like Jesus modeled for us? Because humility says, that Democrat, he's not beneath me. Humility says that Republican, she's not beneath me. Humility says that Muslim, that Hindu, that Buddhist, that atheist, they're not beneath me either. Jesus washes all our feet. And he invites us to live the same way. Because if humility is one of the highest values of God's kingdom, pride is one of its greatest threats. Pride is the ugliness that you don't want to hire. Pride is the ugliness that you don't want to date. Pride is the ugliness that creates all kinds of drama. Pride is the ugliness that gets on your nerves. Pride is the ugliness that we are quick to identify in other people but slow to see in ourselves. And it's the greatest threat to what God wants to do in us. Proverbs says it this way. First pride. First you get pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder 
the fall. And when we are discussing the tensions that you and I can just candidly say are out there, that we wrestle with and deal with every day in the current landscape of our country, this issue of pride and humility must be addressed, especially if we are followers of Christ, especially if we believe that we are part of the kingdom of God. We have to know that because we represent his kingdom in the midst of our country. So we love our country, but our country is temporal. Our citizenship in the kingdom of God is eternal. So we need to understand, where do we fit within the kingdom of God? What are the values and behaviors and attitudes that someone is a part of the kingdom of God? That's where we start. And then we filter that into how are we the best and the most amazing citizens of this country that God has blessed us to be a part of. And that's where humility comes in. And that's where it gets hard. This is the part I told you, I warned you, it gets a little painful. Because we see pride in everyone else and we see humility in ourselves. Rufus Miles was a federal official in the Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson administrations. He wrote something that's known as the Miles Law. And this helps us. He said this, where you stand depends on where you sit. This plays into our political viewpoints. Where you stand depends on where you sit. Our cultural context, who we are, is where we sit. It determines your perspective in life. It determines how you see things, what you see, how you interpret it, how you maybe even vote. Where you stand depends on where you sit. That's why most of us, we don't see any conflict between our faith currently and our politics, none at all. You love this series because your friends really need to hear this stuff, amen? You love, like I'm sending them the link on Facebook today. Because when you hear faith first and politics second, you applaud because you think you're good. You say, yeah, Faith first means I'm a Republican because I put my faith first. And clearly, if I do that, the Republicans are right. Or you say, I've got my faith first. That's why I'm a Democrat, right? Remember, your political views are not shaped in a vacuum. A lot of where you stand is based on where you sit. Pause for that for a second. I want you to pause and at least acknowledge that. And recognize that. Because if we can incorporate this into our kingdom thinking, then we can begin to operate at a level of maturity and also know what it means to actually be humble. And don't you think we could use a little bit more humility in our political conversations right now? A lot more humility. That's where the golf clap comes in right there. I wrote it in the notes. Golf clap. Right? Listen. I'm not... Okay, I'm not suggesting that we have like a kumbaya session. Okay. I, don't, I don't think we should all agree. I don't even think it's healthy for our country for everyone to agree. I think the push and the shove and the different perspectives from where I sit actually moves us forward if we will approach it with humility. The problem is if humility is left to the side, then we can't move forward together, right? We can't see where we are supposed to go. There's going to be disagreement even among Christians, there should be. Some of you, that's shocking to you. 
You thought that if I become a Christian, then I have to join said political party or vote a particular way or believe a certain way. But your citizenship in the kingdom of God starts that priority. And then your faith drives some of those viewpoints along with where you sit. These are key. They're shaped by a variety. Here's some things that impact how you think. Right now, here's some things. And these are things that you probably, most of these, you couldn't even control. But it shapes how you think. Where we live. How were we raised? Where were we educated? That impacts it. If we were educated. What, if we, what we've been told, what we've seen, what we've experienced in our lives. These are the dynamics that shape our political viewpoints. But what if all of us, especially over the next few months, what if we were able to step back and take a little bit of a different view? Not even change your vote. That's not what I'm talking about. But your posture, because pride is the disease, but this feeling of superiority is the symptom of this. And superiority and acting superior is never a catalyst forward in someone's spiritual journey. And we should care more about someone's spiritual journey than their political persuasions in their life. So to see through the lens of humility is to pick up the towel and to remember where you stand depends largely on where you sit. And if you think about Jesus with the basin and the towel, and you think about the people you interact with, because if you've seen the dirt on someone's feet, you might have a better perspective about where they've come from and where and what they've walked through. If you just knelt down and took a close look at their feet, the dirt and the mud of their lives. This would allow us to open our hands and our minds and our hearts without even changing our political viewpoint. So if you're a Democrat and you're listening, you're hard right, conservative Fox News loving Republican brothers and sisters, they aren't crazy. Okay? And if you're a Republican, your left-leaning, progressive, lib, Democrat brothers and sisters, they aren't crazy either. They just sit in a different place. They've walked maybe perhaps in different ways. They've walked through a lot of stuff, that, stuff that you may not have experienced. Everyone is taking a stand based on where they've walked. So can I encourage you in something right now before we close? And this, this is the hard part because it's going to take some humility. Dig deep. It will require you to pick up the more useful towel. Because a lot of us, we're, we're, we're holding tight onto the decorative towel. We've done that. But what if we focused on the useful towel? The one that requires a lot of work. Picking up a useful towel might mean I've got to go volunteer at Catholic charities, teaching English to immigrants or welcoming them to our country, rather than just having, whatever your political standpoint is, a decorative opinion about immigration policy. Jesus. What if I picked up the useful towel and had a conversation with one of the graduates at Hope for Prisoners who's getting out of jail, help coach them and mentor them back to a successful life, rather than just having a decorative opinion about what law and order should look like? What if I had more useful towel ideas around empathy and taking action rather than just decorative policy or position or legislative positions? We can do that. Never burn a relational bridge over a political view. Never do it.
We're a church that's made up of so many views. I think you guys are so funny because when I talk to people, everybody goes, man, most of the people in my church think the way I think. You are so wrong. <laughs> it's just because you sit by the same people all the time. Move around. Do something, right? Seriously. Everybody thinks that everybody at the crossing thinks like this. You're so wrong. One of the amazing things about the crossing is we are diverse across age and gender and, and ethnicity and all those things and political viewpoints. And that's what makes us most effective because we represent the kingdom of God rather than representing a political perspective. We have conservative Christians, we have progressive Christians, and we have politically homeless Christians that are in our fellowship. But we always want to show humility even when we disagree politically. If we can do that, oh, we may not represent well, our, our respective political parties, they'll get over it. But we'll represent the kingdom of God well. Right? When we pause and pick up the useful towel when we want to type that res response, or we're having that hard conversation with a coworker and we just want to pick up the decorative towel and hit them over the head with it. <laughs> right? Well, Peter must have learned something that night as Jesus washed his feet. At first he protested, but then he relented and allowed Jesus to wash the dust and the mud off of his feet. Years later, he says in 1 Peter 5, 5, all of you, and all of you in the Greek means this, all of you, all of us, all of us should clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. To clothe is to tie humility around you like a, like a servant's apron. Our posture towards one another should be that of a servant. You see, pride lies, but humility clarifies. It clarifies for you and I that nothing is beneath us and no one is beneath us. So we simply close with this. Will you allow pride or humility to lead the way? In your life, in your relationships, in your places of influence, in your politics, will you let pride or will you let humility lead the way. But Lee, you say, they this and they that, he this and he said that, she this, she that. No. What posture will you let lead the way? Pride or humility? It's your call. Eugene Peterson reminds us that the Latin word humus, which means soil or earth, is where we get our English word human. It is from this same root word we get our word humble. This is the Genesis origin of who we are. Dust that God uses to make us a human being. Fully understanding who we are recognizes the realization that we are part of the earth, the soil, the humus to which we will all return. And it is only by God's grace that we have life. And the confidence and faith that we have is important to affirm, but we must also be humble in recognizing that there's so much more that we do not understand or possess. So as we engage others in our community and others, different races and class or political persuasion, people of a different faith or of no faith, let us remember we all come from the same soil, the same humus. And we are called to recognize this with complete humility. Let me pray for us today. Father, as we consider this ongoing conversation that's so real and so, so important for us to have. God, we consider this characteristic of humility that you displayed for us and that you trust us to reflect to others. 
God, we ask today that as we ponder this, as we wrestle with it, as we're convicted by this, that you would allow humility to lead the way in us and through us. In times where tensions are hot and where thoughts are direct and, and there's a lot of real frustration, God, we pray that we as your followers would be those that would be known for our humility and how we approach and how we deal with each other. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.